Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambutasa. Putang damang sangkang namasami. So tonight I'd like to uh, speak about the, you know, staying in the middle of the middle path. And I'd like to start with the, one of the poems from the Terigata. And I think this one already was out at the notice board, but I, I just thought it was so fitting for what I want to speak about today, so I'd like to read it. It's from the Bhikkhuni called Vichaya, that means conqueror. When everyone else was meditating, I'd be outside circling the hall. Finally, I went to confess, I'm hopeless, I said. The elder nun smiled. Just keep going, she said. Nothing stays in orbit forever. If this circling is all you have, why not make this circling your home? I did as she told me and went on circling the hall. If you find yourself partly in and partly out, if you find yourself drawn to this path and also drawn away, I can assure you, you are in good company. Just keep going. Sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. You know, when I read that, it, I must say that it's exactly my experience, you know. <laughs> Especially that, you know, sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. That's so true. And... Uh, You know, because sometimes, uh, you know, what we what we read in the in the books or in the scriptures and the instructions, then they are like a rough sketch, you know. But then we have to find out how that applies to our own uh, situation, you know, our own very individual situation, karmic situation, you know, which is maybe you know kind of has been building up since many lifetimes. So it's all not it's not very clear cut, you know, we have to feel it out as we as we go along and uh, there's also this saying, you know, if you can't get out of it, you have to get into it deeper and then through, you know, through kind of banging against limitations of the situation and for sure, you know, the ethical code of conduct you are holding, you know, should be, you know, the the minimum limit, you know, to give you a uh, clear points, you know, when we have to stop and, and change direction. And, you know, and it seems to be like a, a process of, you know, of going to the edge and then coming back again and going to the edge of what's possible and then coming back again to the middle. And in that process, you know, kind of a lot of learning can happen. Because we have to, you know, if we experience it for ourselves in order to really um, 
shed some of those layers of, of delusion or ignorance. And, you know, sometimes we even come really to the end of our rope and then, you know, we have to be willing to, to just stay open so that, you know, the next part of the path will show itself if we have, you know, enough nerve, you know, to stay open. And, and it can be very difficult at times, but... Uh, you know, we learn a lot from mis making mistakes. And, uh, you know, from the fact that there are, you know, there's this kind of system of training, which is called, for example, the Noble Eightfold Path. And, and then, you know, bringing that home into our own experiences is a very creative process. And uh, also, you know, very humbling process really and uh, you know from making this path alive in into and, and bringing it into our own circumstances that's like an art you know and, and a science and uh, and like any kind of a you know experiment it's always a a succession of, of mistakes and misunderstandings and so on and so forth until you hit, you know, the right thing suddenly, you know, and that's not something we can control, but it's just like very much dependent on, you know, how open can we stay and how balanced, you know, are we so that we always, you know, can come back to the middle and, and just give it another hit, give it another try. And... Uh, you know, and let life speak for itself, you know, rather than holding on to assumptions. And it takes quite a lot of courage. And that's how wisdom is developed, you know, through this kind of being willing to experiment. And uh, being willing, you know, to respond. And... Uh, you know, a very important um, quality in order to be able to to do this kind of work is is uh, equanimity or equipoise. You know that that capacity which enables us, you know, to come back to the middle of the middle path and then you know try again and try again and and have that stability to be able to receive the feedback, you know, which comes from life and from other people and, you know, from inside and, uh, and, and just learn from that. And, you know, change direction when necessary and, and just, you know, it's, it's, it's really like a, a call and response kind of a path. And then, you know, we start where we are and we start, you know, work with what we have got and then we grow from there. And, uh, you know, the path is, is um, compared with, uh, with, the, with the ocean. You know, the, the Buddha speaks about the, you know, it's a, it's a long gradual slope followed by a sudden drop-off. And it's like, you know, like the 
continental shelf is uh, off the coast of India, you know. And, you know, when people, you know, they want to have the sudden drop off, the, they're just all waiting for that to happen any moment, but not very kind of inspired by the gradual slope, you know, which is just long. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and it's that, that uh, gradual slope, you know, which, which kind of forces us, you know, to develop what's called like the seven factors of enlightenment, which are out there on the board. You know, that, that sensitivity, that subtlety of mind, which is able to discern, you know, and when that is honed to the degree necessary, then the, then the, the sudden drop-off, you know, is, is ready to be happening, you know, because we have honed the mind and we have prepared ourselves for that through enduring, you know, on this on this gradual slope and uh, you know, the equanimity, equipoise is a very central quality for being able, you know, to uh, bear it, really. And coming back you know, to the middle and then going to the edge of what's possible and getting the feedback and then coming back, you know, and kind of digesting it and then going again, you know. And it's that kind of back and forth and, you know, flexibility of changing direction and of, uh, you know, kind of... Um, not take you know not kind of being so attached to the to the words of the the teaching, but being able you know, to make it our own I think that's that's very important it's it's a very creative process and um, you know everybody has to find their own way you know feel it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's very, very kind of like being in the dark, you know, just kind of the next few inches. And sometimes, you know, there is a lot of vision and uh, like uplift and we have a feeling, you know, we, it's, all, it's all so clear, you know, and it's, it's and everything in between. And then, you know, as Vijaya says here in this, in this poem, you know, if this decircling is all you have, why not make decircling your home? So, you know, you always, there's always something to work with, you know, and even if it's just very little, but if we can, you know, have the humility to stay with that, then that will open up again the next, the next chapter of the path. And... Uh, you know, there's, I think this is from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. where he speaks about, you know, the, the stairwell. You just need to see the next step. You don't need to see the whole thing. Just need the next step and do this and then see the next step and the next step. But that requires you know, uh, courage. And, uh, you know, equanimity and equipoise and patience, they are considered two very important, you know, ingredients for the path and they, especially the patience, you know, isn't 
you know, doesn't sound very cool quality to develop. <laughs> doesn't sound very heroic, but I think it's actually a very heroic quality, you know, patience. To have that, that um, you know, the courage to be where you are, not knowing what's going to happen next. And, and then if we can stay there, you know, and not kind of go crazy too much, then it will happen. You know, as in this poem, it's as well said, you know, um, just keep going, she said, nothing stays in orbit forever. There's just the law of impermanence, you know, nothing stays in suspension forever. It's going to you know, flip into the next part. But the only thing what we don't know is what is going to be. And this equanimity, equipoise, you know, is uh, that capacity you know, to, to stay in the middle of our experience, not shutting down and not, not getting lost in it. And it has huge implications, you know, for how our lives and our path unfolds. And and in some ways you could say, you know, that the whole path rests on, on, on that quality, really, ultimately. And the maturing of that quality. And, uh, you know, in the scriptures is also mentioned equanimity in the, in the Abhidhamma, actually, is a universal, beautiful factor of mind, which is in every wholesome mind state. You know, is is a part of every wholesome mind state, and uh, you know, it's compared that trying you know, to make have fire sticks and make fire. So if you you know start a little bit and then put the stick down and then take it and start a little bit and put it down, then never anything is going to happen. You know, we have to just have a balanced effort, kind of apply it for long enough, you know, that it starts to, the smoke starts to come. So it's this, um, yeah, it's, it's a mature quality. And it's, you know, in the end it saves a lot of energy, not always stopping and starting, stopping and starting, but just kind of continuing and not collapsing, you know, this kind, not kind of, you know, doing a lot of, putting in a lot of effort and then kind of being exhausted and then a lot of effort and being exhausted again, but just kind of tempering the application of effort and, but being continuous with it. And there's two different words, you know, for, for equanimity and equipoise. One is upeka, and we have been mentioning that as a Brahma-vihara, and the second one is Tatra Macha Tata, which means there in the middleness. That's the second word, the synonym for opaca, which is less often heard. Hmm? Tatra Macha Tata. There in the middleness, literally it means. And I really like that one very much because, you know, in the middle of it all, you know, especially when we go back, you know, to our kind of 
where you live and where you work and your family and you know and having that that maturity you know to not shut down in the middle of all of this um, you know what comes to us and and find a way you know to uh, prioritize really and the the definition of equanimity in the scriptures it's it's just very very kind of matter of fact like a charioteer who looks on with equanimity at thoroughbreds progressing evenly along the roadway (laughs) (laughs) that's the definition of it And uh, so some aspects of equanimity is, you know, equanimity as a, as a quality of balance. And in that way, it's, it's mentioned in, in conjunction with what's called the eight worldly winds. I'm sure you have heard about those. Gain and, I think you mentioned them yesterday. Gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute repute and pleasure and pain, you know, those eight worldly winds which are constantly blowing. You know, even when we are here on meditation retreat, I'm sure you have experienced them. But when we go outside, you know, now going back to our lives, they will blow much stronger than that, than here, I guess. And, you know, the equanimity, equipoise, is a uh, very important you know support in being able to not get blown away by those and uh riding the waves you know like Kuan Yin when she's riding the dragon that's you know someone who is is so um stable and mature in the practice that they can use whatever is happening you know for for the path and uh, especially if it's if it's like on a foundation of very good sila of good ethics, you know, if there's no remorse, then it's it's easy, you know, to just uh, keep on kind of surfing without getting stuck. And then, especially what I kind of observe is, you know, the, the pleasure and pain. Um, winds, we often have that kind of automatic response you know if something painful happens in our lives painful emotions we kind of equate it with we have done something wrong somehow you know if we it's because if we would have done something different said something different we wouldn't experience painful feeling but sometimes that can be the case but very often it's just independent from us that things are just changing. And I think it's really important to to not fall into that trap. And, uh, you know, take that image of Kuan Yin riding the dragon as, a, as, a, as an inspiration, you know, how we can actually you know, work with the worldly winds. And I, I remember my first teacher, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, a Thai monk, you know, has passed away now. 
in the early 90s, but I remember when I saw him for the first time, you know, what struck me the most was this kind of palpable equanimity, you know, which he exuded just in the way he was sitting there. And, you know, I was then, I was, I was kind of in my late 20s and I didn't have much equanimity then. And I was really very deeply moved by that, you know, that was very attractive. That was really what, what, um, you know, pulled me onto the path, that equanimity he, he exuded in his presence. And uh, the unshakability of the heart, you know, in the midst of all of what can happen in a lifetime. And, you know, the depths of the, the learning and the, you know, the groundedness and the rootedness in the depths of laws of nature, you know, kind of doing their thing. It was very, very powerful and uh, I still have that impression deep in my heart, you know, and there's still a, a great uh, in source of inspiration for me. And then uh, another aspect of equanimity is, is equanimity as a Brahma Vihara, as a divine abode. You know, that capacity to make space and stay open for the way things are, so to say, you know. And also wanting to mention, you know, true equanimity sits within the fourfold Brahma-Vihara practice. You know, true equanimity is like informed by metta, karuna and mudita. It's, a, you know, it's like a, a coolness or like a, the, sometimes it's also kind of compared with the laugh of a grandmother, you know, who is, you know, the, the, mother of the child is much more invested, you know, in, in all of the ups and downs of the child's successes and, and so on. But the grandmother, you know, has seen everything under the sun kind of a thing. Is not anymore shaking up like that, you know. She understands that the child has to learn by making mistakes because that's how she learned, that's how her own daughter learned and she can just, you know, be there and 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 not kind of get too nervous and can see the child needs to make mistakes and then she can come back to her and she'll be there. This kind of a, of a laugh, you know. And, and metta, karuna and uh, mudita are compared with, the, with different uh, movements of the sun actually metta is just the sun at noon and uh, karuna is sunset and mudita is sunrise but uh, upeka is is the full moon you know it's not the direct light of the sun but it's the indirect light the coolness of the full moon and and the stillness of it i think it's a very good example you know what um, equanimity is and then equanimity is also a parameter 
or parami, one of the ten perfections. This is the ten qualities, you know, the, the Bodhisattva has developed over countless lifetimes until, you know, he um, realized Buddhahood. And they are called also like furtherances or transcended actions. And, you know, they are, they are concerned with the effort, you know, to, the capacity to step out of, of the ego, basically. And there are ten qualities, and the most important ones are, as I said before already, are equanimity and patience. And then there's eight other ones, which I could read out to you if you'd like to know. Generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, diligence, truthfulness, resolve, and metta. And equanimity and patience, the other chief ones of those ten. And then, you know, the wisdom aspect of equanimity is, uh, is very well expressed in this uh, very often quoted uh, saying by the third Zen ancestor, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When attachment and aversion are both absent, the way is clear and undisguised. So that, you know, this non-preferential awareness, you know, which is developed through actually, you know, training the, the seven factors of enlightenment. Just, you know, being able to have this, you know, rest in this mirror-like awareness. We have been, you know, mentioning and also did a guided meditation on awareness of awareness. You know, this mirror-like awareness which just reflects back what is without adding anything on top of it, you know. What we usually do, you know, having lots of stories and comments and judgments and good and bad and all of that, you know, on top of what is actually really happening. And... You know, through being able to rest in this open awareness, you know, we, we can go deeper and deeper underneath and, you know, realize or kind of in, uh, have insight into the three characteristics, you know, to an ever deeper ex uh, degree and that matures the practice, you know, the insight into those three characteristics. And, and then there's different stages, you know, on the path, you know, sometimes there's stages of distress, really, and sometimes there is great happiness and and uplift. You know, and it's important to kind of keep keep in the middle and keep going. You know, because there's more. There's more to it. There's more to it. And then, you know, the real fruit of the path is would be then you know the Arahantship in in uh, the approach you know, which is taught in a Theravada path. It's, a, it's like a, a constant deepening, you know, and going through those stages and not stopping, just continuing. You know, and some stages are like one stage, I think it's called like, it's even called, I think, terror of insight, you know, like, when we first, for the first time, really see very clearly, you know, everything which is arising is ceasing, can be, you know, scary 
in the beginning. And then if we keep going, oh, it feels like it's a great relief, actually. So it's important not to stop and just continue to, to kind of go deeper. And, you know, come ever more from content to, to the process, you know, being not so caught up in the details and in the, in the story of it, but seeing more the structure of experience. You know, which, for example, those three characteristics, they are like a very, you know, like essential structure of the way things are. And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, through one of those three characteristics that we step into realization and they are like gateways, you know, into... into the deathless. And then how to develop equanimity. So, you know, that sounds easy, but it's not, not easy to do, and it's actually also, you know, you could say the, you know, the fruit of the practice, letting go, you know, all all three schools of Buddhism, you know, what they are really trying to convey is many different methods, you know, how to train ourselves in letting go of attachment. And, uh, you know, there's this very well-known saying of Achan Shah about the cup is already broken, you know. So to, to use this glass or to use this this cup, you know, as if it would be already broken. We can still, you know, enjoy it and benefit greatly from it. But when it's broken, it's broken. And there is no problem about that. <laughs> because then we just take another one. And if there is no other one, we can just take our hands. There's always a way, you know, how we can continue. So, you know, acting with a full commitment to our motivation, you know, but knowing, you know, we can't really control the outcome. And then the next factor, you know, how to develop equanimity is to associate with wise and equanimous people because that will really, you know, have a good influence on us. And I think you all know probably, you know, if you are with people who are very excited and very loud and so on, it's it's really kind of kind of stressful, you know. <laughs> and to you know, just uh, try to to be with people, you know, who have qualities which we would like to develop. And then practice equanimity as a Brahma Vihara and Ayananda Bodhi has been, you know, giving us instruction about that. And the classical phrase, you know, for developing equanimity as a Brahma Vihara is, you know, to reflect on all beings are heirs of their own karma. So, you know, sometimes including ourselves, you know. 
So if there sometimes things are happening in, in life, you know, which are very challenging, then, you know, reflecting in this way doesn't mean that we don't help or that we are not, you know, making ourselves available, but doing that, but at the same time also knowing, you know, all beings, including ourselves, are heirs of their own karma and that kind of gives us more space, you know, to be able to to make to make space for what's happening and not getting, you know, too caught up in it. Because then we'd be much more capable actually to really help. So it's not, that reflection doesn't, you know, isn't used in order to just be indifferent or not care or, or find an excuse, you know, that we don't need to do anything. Not at all. It is there, you know, in order to give us more peace of mind, you know, and more strength that we can really kind of act with a, you know, from a, from some, from a groundedness, really. And the fourth uh, factor is just, you know, really practicing meditation and practicing continuous mindfulness and wise attention, you know, and uh, to see things in a bigger context, you know, and especially, you know, in the practice uh, which we have been doing, to pay attention to transitions, you know, because if we do that, then uh, we learn to see things in a bigger context, you know, like when I was mentioning a few days ago the story about the horse, you know, where the, the farmer loses the horse and then, Everybody thinks, oh, it's all so terrible, you know. And then the horse comes back with a few other horses. Oh, it's all so wonderful. And then the son breaks his leg when he's training the horses. Oh, it's all so terrible. And then, you know, he's not recruited for the for the war because he's broken his leg. It's all so wonderful. And back and forth, back and forth, up and down all the time, you know. It's exhausting like that. So it's much better, you know, to to learn to see things not so isolated, you know. And that's what equanimity, you know, is born of. You know, seeing things uh, not just like in isolated little slices, you know, but seeing the whole, the whole pie at once. And, you know, the Buddha summed it all up and said, there is no higher happiness than peace. But what he meant is, you know, the peace which is the result of letting go and not not the peace, you know, which is the result of trying to pin it down. Because that's not real peace, that's something else. You know, and my own name is, is Santa Chitta, which means actually peaceful heart or peaceful mind, you know, and... Uh, I think, you know, Arjun Sumaila, he gave me this name and, you know, he, he gave, when he, he tries to give everybody a name, you know, as a, as a reminder for what they have to develop in their lives. <laughs> and I don't have to say more, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I was not offended. 
because before that he had even a different idea, which I won't say. But I would have been <laughs> offended about that one. <laughs> but he always he runs it by the other nuns, you know, first. Do you think this, she would be okay with that name? And the first one, they said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then uh, to end, I brought a little uh, reading here from, that's from Trungpa, Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, you know, the crazy wisdom teacher who has children all over America. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like his... Um, the mind, how his mind works. And the way, you know, how he, how the creativity he brought, you know, to the Dhamma, how he was expressing it. I didn't like other parts. <laughs> and that quote is, I think it's, um, actually when I pay my children, it's from one of her books. Joining heaven and earth. Recently in a friend's kitchen I saw on the wall a quotation from one of Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche's talks which said, Hold the sadness and pain of samsara in your heart and at the same time the power and vision of the great eastern sun. Then the warrior can make a proper cup of tea. I was struck by it because when I read it, I realized that I myself have some kind of preference for stillness. The notion of holding the sadness and pain of samsara in my heart rang true, but I realized I didn't do that. At least I had a definite preference for the power and vision of the great eastern sun. My reference point was always to be awake and to live fully, to remember the great eastern sun, the quality of being continually awake. But what about holding the sadness and pain of samsara in my heart at the same time? The quotation really made an impression on me. It was completely true. If you can live with the sadness of human life, what Rinpoche often called the tender heart or genuine heart of sadness, if you can be willing to feel fully and acknowledge continually your own sadness and the sadness of life, but at the same time not be drowned in it, because you also remember the vision and power of the great eastern sun. You experience balance and completeness, joining heaven and earth, joining vision and practicality. And that's in some ways, you know, very close to the quote of uh, Vichaya, you know, of the uh, Bhikkhuni here. You know, this just keep going, sometimes the most direct path isn't a straight line. I think this is very good to remember, you know, in the thick of it, that, uh, you know, we have to, you know, remember, you know, the three characteristics and the Sadness, you know, those three characteristics can produce, you know, in our conventional lives. And then at the same time, remember, you know, it's insight and full realization of these three characteristics, which is also the, which, which also is, you know, opening the door into full enlightenment.
so it's a you know it's it's the the, the path is like paradoxical in that sense you know that which is on one hand you know really devastating at the same time you know it opens up the path into full liberation and and uh, you know nibbana and uh, you know there's something the mind can't really fully grasp you know and this is why letting go is really the essence of the path And, uh, you know, if we use what we have got and don't stop, that's what's going to kind of happen, you know. And uh, we still have a few hours' time. Who knows what's going to happen? So thank you. And... uh, Tomorrow we have our closing day. And maybe we can speak about that tomorrow, I guess. So thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.